0: Welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Jay Vaz, and you're listening to The Jay Vaz Show. Today's show is going to be a banger. It's been a while, but we are back. Today's guest is an actor. He is a a director. Uh, He has over... I believe he said 75 movies or projects that he's been a part in. He's been in Home Alone, Billy Madison, better known as Mr. Heckles from Friends. Larry Hankin. Larry Hankin will be joining the show. But before we get you there, make sure you follow us on all the social media pages at The JVAS Show. Check out the website, thejvassshow.com. And make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel at The JVAS Show, where you can find the video version of this and all the other interviews that we have on the show. All of those links are on the description of the podcast. And without further ado, let's get Hint to it, Mr. Larry Hankin, also known as Mr. Hankles. Let's go. And joining us now, he's been part of, man, he's got a long career, actually. Uh, we just name a couple, of, a couple of the projects that, that you've been part of. You, you've been on Escape from Alcatraz, Billy Madison, Home Alone, um, you know, I told my girlfriend about this, and she, she knew exactly who you were. She's like, yeah, he's on Friends. So, you know, on Friends, Breaking Bad, joining us. Mr. Larry Hankin, how you doing? I'm
1: doing uh, okay. Well, I'm doing as well as can be expected under the circumstances of <laughs> COVID. <laughs> I, COVID. Uh, as long as I stay in the house, I'm fine. You know, I, yeah. and I try to avoid people and wear I mean, masks. yeah, it's, it's a ridiculous time we're in, but uh, hopefully it'll be over soon. But I'm fine. I actually I'm fine I go to I, I, I bike ride so that keeps me cool yeah that's
0: that's a that's a good distraction you, you know that, those are some of the things that before we get into the interview just as you mentioned bike riding bike riding and walking is, is some of those things that they clear your mind and people don't know that like it, it's kind of like a getaway from what's happening at the moment
1: yeah reality. I. Uh, <laughs> Right. It's another reality. Uh, I was just riding my bike this morning and um, that popped into my mind. I was riding by, I I live by the, uh, by the ocean here. So I was riding on the bike path and uh, there's a couple of places where you can ride with your bike and there's nobody else around, you know, like uh, there's this long thing. You can go out on a jetty for, I don't know, maybe a football field jetty out into the water and you ride it right out and back at that point i was looking at the 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 sea is very calm for the last two days i don't know why i mean it's almost like a lake it's really weird it's an ocean it's just flat man and i was thinking wow man this is pretty cool i i've forgotten what i was thinking about about an hour ago i have no idea that's cool yeah that's that's (laughs) one of the
0: things that like i said we kind of take that that little moment to kind of get away from reality and it's pretty cool um, but
1: uh, well, it's, it's a it's a real reality. I don't know about getting away. You can't yeah. get away from reality. I discovered.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's no getting away from it. We 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 got to end up. You know, but it's another reality
1: explosion. that just is cool.
0: Yeah, you can you can kind of just take a break from the reality you're living in. Uh, yeah, to start yeah. your own reality, to to, to yeah. get I mean, into your own reality.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uh, yeah. I mean, and with this the politics that are going on, I mean, mm. there's a lot of realities going on. <laughs> <laughs> just I can't keep up. Can we just get to? A, can we just go to another universe, another time? <laughs> uh yeah, well, that's why I hang around in the house, man. I write. <laughs> I write a lot. I mean, that's the 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 upside of th- this whole COVID thing is I. Used to started writing uh, a screenplay in um, October of last year of of 19, 2019. And then the, the COVID hit around November and I just finished two screenplays. And uh, yesterday I finished the second one just by sequestering in place and at least mm-hmm. using the time, you know, kind of, you know, for Wily. positive things, or, you know, yeah. So I got two screenplays written because of COVID. I, I would because have COVID, never done yeah. that. <laughs> that. That that's one of the things that I feel like COVID has done though for for people that are creators that like to create. That's right. You're right, man. It gave us some time that we had legitimate time. Yeah. Just okay, leave me alone, man. I'm I'm here, I'm doing this. That that's totally true. Uh yeah, I got two two screenplays, and I've seen other people on Zoom who are doing the same thing, you know, other, other art forms. Yeah. But it's a great time for artists, or it was, you know, the sequestered, and not, not the disease. but Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the time that we're getting to spend at home and doing what we love without right. the distractions outside of, you know, you show no, I, out and about.
1: I don't have a family, so that might be, you know, if you have kids – you know, uh, th- that's being trapped in a house with kids, or, or sequestered in a house. I'm sorry to use the word trapped, but, but being sequestered with a family is a whole different thing altogether. You know, but I guess if you got a family, there's not much time for for art. You have to go outside, and, you know, like a studio or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, Interesting times.
0: So let's let's get into let's let's get into it, man. Um, okay. we, as we mentioned, you you have a long career. Um, yeah, a, a lot, a lot of movies that, that, you know, growing up were favorites. Uh, obviously the, the new TV shows like Breaking Bad and, and things like that, you had a, you had a part in those shows. Um, but, but let's take it back. Let's take it back. Did, did you always want to be an actor?
1: I never wanted to be an actor. I still don't want to be an actor. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not something I had on, uh, on my dance card. Uh, I, I just fell into it because uh, I was a I was a stand up comedian. That's what I wanted to be, and that's what I was. Uh, but um, I started to get into in the early sixties. It wasn't hip to be hip uh, as a comedian. Uh, you know, my contemporaries were <clears throat> Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce. First of all, I mean that that's who I started to emulate. But, 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 I, I mean that to be like Lenny Bruce or Richard Pryor or George Carlin, those guys, those are the guys I was watching um, take some, some talent, some, well, not even talent. Uh, what, what would it be? Practice? I don't know. Process. You just have to keep doing it, you know, just yeah. to get good at it because those guys are really good at it. And so in the beginning I was just, a comedian a stand-up comedian when i started to get into um uh critical thinking areas uh religion politics uh drugs sex rock and roll then there was some curbs and i was, I was uh, a lot of run-ins with police pulling me off the stage and i didn't like that at all uh I, it was not fun. I wasn't in it for the money. I was in it t- to be funny. I'm a funny guy. I was. I guess I hope I still am. But, I, you know, I was, you know, funny in high school, you know, one funniest in high school two years in a row. So I had that bug, you know. And uh, when I started doing Carlin stuff and Prior stuff and Lenny's stuff, I couldn't take it, man, Uh, because I wasn't ready for it. I wasn't geared for it. I was just having fun. Oh, let's talk about this, you know? And then cops started to come down. Because I was doing arena shows. I was opening for, like, the Love and Spoonful. I was opening for Kingston Trio, uh, Miles Davis. You know, uh, Miles Davis and uh, who else? Uh, Well, I mean, a a lot of other people. But there was different audiences. I I was opening for Woody Allen. uh, so there was different audiences, and I wasn't welcomed by many audiences. Uh, Miles Davis, people loved me, you know. Uh, but I wasn't ready for the blowback of going to a, uh, opening for the Love and Spoonful, say, an, an arena and in the middle of my show, of my part. Uh, 10 minutes in, when I started to get into the critical thinking stuff, bam, air, police marched down the aisles and pulled me off the stage, you know, wow! to the cheers. Wow. Oh, and I, I kept on talking to them. It's really funny. As soon as I started talking about sex, that, that was the, the tip-off, 10 minutes in, they started to boom. And I, the audience, this is rock and roll. This is, you know, a college it was a Washington University you know and and they were starting to boo and they were laughing all along when I got to the when I was doing the clean stuff you know when I got to sex drugs and stuff like that they started to boo but when I said hey what are you doing this is a, a rock and roll show I thought you're like you know you're college people you wanted to hear about this and they shut up and they listened to me explain what you know, you're blowing my mind with this booing. Why, what are your, What happened to sex, drugs, rock and roll? So they quieted down. So I thought, oh, okay, well, now I can go on. So as soon as I started my routine, they started to throw, they started to pull the handles off of the um seats, you know, those wooden armrests in, in arenas and, and throwing them at me, man. It's just the first three rows, you know, no wow. girls, just guys. And then, the, and that's when the cops came down, uh, uh, well, no, they waited a little while, I stopped, because when they started throwing things, I, I stopped again, you know, and I go, wait a minute, and I stopped, but when I talked to them, I like, what are you doing, man? You can't do this, this is, this is sex, drugs, rock and roll, love and spoonfuls are gonna come on, they going to. they stopped. And then, when I started again, the first three rows didn't have any more armrests to throw. So because they had the lights on, you know, they just kept the lights on. I saw the rows in the back. All the guys were pulling their armrests off and passing them down so the guys in front could throw them at me. I mean, it was just, and that's when the cops started to come down. And they pulled me off. And they weren't, they weren't very, uh, they weren't mad or angry or or cop-like, you know, what you would expect. No, they, I don't think they even knew why they were pulling me off. Because I think somebody just said, there's a, well, what they, the label was, this is from the police, a filthy mouth, a filthy mouth comedian is opening for the loving spoonful. Get down here and get him off the stage. Uh, the dean called. He was standing in the back. I didn't know this at the time. So they came down, they pulled me up, but they weren't angry. They were just, Policemen doing, their, doing their duty. Yeah, doing their, exactly. They just grabbed me, uh, you know, very gently. They said, We have to take you off the stage now. Let's go. So I, I, I went, you know, but the Loving Spoonful didn't want me to go there because they said, No, oh, stay out there because they wanted a riot. They wanted the publicity. Yeah. You know, so, and I was traveling with them, so we would talk afterwards. But so I, then they held me. Well, they didn't hold me, they stood by me. 18 cops left. And two cops stood with me. I go, why are you standing here? I'm backstage. There's nothing backstage here. And the the crew is now immediately setting up, you know, the music stuff for the band. Because this was, you know, I still had like 15 more minutes to go. We have to to guard you until the loving spoonful starts playing. I go, why? Because you may run out there and start again. So we have to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, fine. All right. so we just uh, stood there for like uh i don't know seven eight more minutes until the band started playing and then they just said goodbye thanks you know thank you so i mean there was no problem with them they just somebody called the cops and they did their job you know yeah and when we got up to northwestern which was the next stop there was a priest in full regalia you know white collar and everything a police captain in full uniform and the Dean of Northwestern, as we checked in, uh, they go, is there Larry Hankin in the, um, is there a Larry Hankin in the party? Because there was a 411 Spoonful, me, and then two managers, their manager. We all traveled together. And and is there a Larry Hankin in this group? And the two managers just turned, got in between them, they turned to me, well, they turned to all of us, and they just said, like this, they, they pointed like this, and the cops and the people, would be like, go up into his room, lock the door, and don't let anybody in except us, and wait there. And then they turned around to the three, and, then, and we went, you know, and they negotiated. So we went up into the room, and they locked the door, and we talked about whether I should do my show or not. You know, because the Loving Spoonful wanted me, do it, do it. You know, like, yeah, but they're going to boo and they're going to throw things and it's crazy. Yeah, we want that. Yeah, do it, man, do it. So finally I said, okay, fine, what the hell, you know. So I went out and I did my act and it was just like any other, you know, I was like for like uh, Miles Davis. They loved it, you know. And there was yeah. nothing. Just regular show and love and Spoonful. So you, yeah, I can't really tell, but I... And then people would come at me with beer bottles, man, and stuff. I, I just, I kept on saying, I'm a middle-class Jewish kid. What are you doing, man? You know, this is not, I'm not even into drugs yet. I wasn't. Yeah. I, was, I was, yeah, no, this is come another year. I was, I'm not into drugs yet. Why are you doing this? You know? But, uh, so I called my manager, who was Woody's manager. And, and I said, look, I can't do this. Isn't that my shtick, man? Because Woody, you know, was clean. He was doing television. So he had television material. So, I, so he said, well, do television material and you won't, they won't boo you. And I go, but I can't. I don't, I don't you know, because I didn't write. I would just, you know, talk about my day. And I had a, I, I guess I still have. But I had a photographic memory for, for laughs. In other words, I told a story and there was three laughs in the story. I'd remember the setup to the three laughs for the next night. So, or, so it wasn't a question of editing. It just, I would just forget if there wasn't any laughs, I would just record in my head. So I never wrote anything. I would just talk about the stuff that got laughs last night and just move it up, you know, like a conveyor belt of comedy, you know, uh, move that up. And then next night I would put that in the front and, and things would just move up like that so I never wrote anything. And so I I said, I can't do this. It's not fun. I I wasn't in it for the money. I was, I was in it for the glory, I guess, (laughs) but I wasn't in it for the money. So I, so he said, well, join second city, you know, they're doing the same thing as Lenny and and George Carlin, but they own the theater. So if somebody's going to, come at you with a beer bottle. He said this, he said two things. He said, they're going to come at you with a beer bottle, they own the theater, so they'll throw him out, not you. And besides, Second City Stage is four feet high above the floor. So they'll have to climb up, as opposed to nightclubs where they can just come across the dance floor and whack, <laughs> you know. So he was even giving me the, the, the measurements. You no, know, you got four feet before they get to you, so don't worry about it. So that's what I did. I joined Second City and that's how I got into acting and became an actor. But it was just because, oh, well, there's, there's less tumult and there's more money, you know. <laughs> less beer bottles, yeah. <laughs> so, but I still don't, because I have to memorize things. You know, I have to memorize lines and that's very hard. I'm dyslexic. So, you know, it's kind of hard for me. So, so that's how I, that's my answer to your, you know, how did you get into acting? How you get into acting? Because I didn't like being booed.
0: Yeah, didn't like, uh, <laughs> yeah, didn't, like didn't like getting bottles thrown your way. Uh, so yeah. so with that being the you know your initial experience of it all, uh, did, did it mess with you mentally where you wanted to change your your um, I don't know your go to jokes or, or
1: just your your setup at all? No, I, I, it be, no, because it, I was getting worse, not better, or or I couldn't edit out because I was because I didn't write anything I didn't know how to write a joke I didn't know about setups and punchlines and I didn't I didn't know that I just was a funny guy I would tell funny stories and people would laugh and sometimes when I wrote something n- not as a as a shtick or or as a monologue, but just as I was writing, so sometimes a newspaper would say, hey, just write an article, you know, for us. So I would just type it out and then I would give it to a friend and I'd say, hey, read this. What do do you think? And then he would, this would happen all the time. Whoever I gave the paper to, they would read it and they would go, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) and i go, what did you laugh at? What did you laugh at? And he would point or she would point at it. But I didn't see, in other words, it's not a question of setup and punchline. It's not what was funny. I didn't know it was funny. I just get up and tell my stories. Now, of course, they did laugh at the same places if I told the same story because I knew the memory of the, of the jokes. But but I didn't know what was funny in front, so I couldn't change. I would be working off the top of my head all the time. It was just I would remember if something was funny, but I, it wasn't written down. I couldn't rejigger it. It was just I'd have to take that hunk out. And after a while, it was just all hunks of stuff that people would boo at. I mean, it was sex, drugs, rock and roll, religion, politics, all the stuff that uh, you don't talk about at dinner tables, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So, but, um, well, anyway, Lenny and the other guys, they were set up for it. They were prepared to be booed. They, they, they had a, you know, they were just, I wasn't prepared.
0: Yeah. So, so let me ask you this, though. Um, So, so that's how you, that's how your career started.
1: Uh, What, what was your first appearance on a movie? Well, my first, wow. Well, my first appearance was like uh, small stuff thumb-tripping, I think, probably. Uh, you've never even heard of it. Because uh, I, I, when I left Second City, uh, you know, I was just doing Second City in Chicago, and then a, a bunch of us split and went to San Francisco in the early 60s and started the committee, which was just like Second City, only it was, and we owned it in San Francisco. And there, they were making movies. San Francisco movies, like Thumb Tripping, which was a hippie movie. Uh, You know, low budget, but you know, a movie, a feature. So I I had a bit part in that. That was my first movie. But my first official movie that probably you would like to know about or asking me about is uh, Escape from Alcatraz. And that blew my mind because I got co-star role in that. And I didn't know that they didn't tell me that they didn't tell me it was a co-starring role. I didn't audition. Like I was a co-star. I was just an actor in second city, uh, in the committee, uh, who was starving at the time. I had gone down to LA because there was money down there and there was couches I could sleep on. Uh, because everybody was going down. I mean, if you weren't in the committee in San Francisco, all the all the heavy hitters, all the people who hired you, hired one of the casting directors and everybody, and the producers and the directors, heard about a second city like theater in San Francisco. That was only a thirty-five minute round trip plane fair in the sixties. So they would just fly up and watch a show. You know, it was a hit we were a hit show. I mean, we were sell sellouts all the time. So they would just fly up, you know, maybe take a girlfriend or their wife, they would go up, and they would check us out. And we were a hit show, so we were being seen by people who if we went down to L.A., we could never get in to see, you know, because, no, you have to whatever, audition or whatever. But, no, they would come up, and they would see us. So that we were constantly flying down for a day or two or, or three or a week to be in these things, and we'd come back and be in our show. So it was like kind of easy peasy to be an actor in movies because that's really what we were not what we were doing. We were just being in a show and people would hire us out and then come back. And the great thing about being in an improv show is it's improv. So you could leave and somebody could take over your part. They don't have to say it exactly like you. And if they did change it, hey, it's improv, you know, wake up. Yeah. <laughs> to the other actor, you know, you're not saying it like Larry said it. Yeah, I'm improvising. Is you know? <laughs> this <just> news? <laughs> and the director would say, yeah, it's fine. He's improvising. What are you doing? You know, just go along with it. So it was easy to do. And then finally the money got so big, you know, after a while. And then you needed an agent and stuff. So I got an agent and then I stayed down there. And I was couch surfing for a while. and. I became an actor, but it was because of the money. It just, in other words, they buy your soul down here. Yeah. My soul has been bought, <laughs> by the way. You know, uh, they, they do. And you can't get out because now you got a house. Or, well, more important, you got a mortgage. And now you need those big salaries to pay your mortgage. And so you can't stop being a movie actor. You got to keep auditioning and getting the, the paycheck because every job ends either in a week or three months. I mean, so let me
0: ask you this. For, compared to, you know, your even though you say you did an audition for, for uh, Escape from Alcatraz, uh, comparing your roles back then to, to your most
1: recent ones, what's the biggest difference in, tr- in trying to get a role for a show or a movie? I don't have to audition anymore. I, 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 or if I do have to audition, because even, even stars audition, it's just a demeaning process. That's why I never wanted... I mean, there's so many... There's so many negatives to being an actor. To me, they outweigh the positives because there's a lot of positives about being an actor. I mean, the the salary, the roles, the fame, uh, the the perks. I mean, you you do get a lot of perks if people know you, you know, from the street. Like in San Francisco, I was, we were so famous in San Francisco in this little town where, you know, we, had, we were the only hit show. Um, we, uh, we got, like, I would get a good seat in a restaurant or I would get a freebie. or You know, so when you become a, like Brad Pitt, I'm sure he gets, you know, huge perks and stuff. But, you know, you have to claw your way to the top and I'm not into that kind of... I don't have good nails. I <laughs> <laughs> so I can't. So I yeah, just, you know, I, I I I live comfortably, you know, but I do what I want. And that's that's the bottom line. This stuff comes out of my head, my screenplays come out of my head. I do podcasts, they come out of my head, and I'm writing a book, and that comes out of my head. And I'm gonna go back to stand-up and that'll come out of my head. So now, that's where I'm, I'm at, even though, yeah, most of my credits that are out there in public are IMDb, and it looks like, wow, 182. I found this out by doing podcasts. I've done 182 TV and movies in, in my career, which, which I'm told is a lot. No, I just kept hey, on auditioning because you've got to pay the rent. That is a lot. That is a lot. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> okay. But- but if you, but okay. But each one was a was a one off, so that's 185 shows. Now, if you got if you got into movies, it you was know, just TVs and movies. If you get into movies, okay, the movies play over and over again. You can see my on Netflix. Okay, that that's that's a perk because you get a residual and you don't have to work. It just plays and you get a check, not a big check, but a check. You get a check, but but. Um, so, if one hundred and eighty-five, the way I, the way I, um, what's this? assigned here? Wait, a minute, I got to get rid of this. Boom. Okay. So, uh, I, I, um, what I, what I figured out is one hundred and eighty-five. That's one hundred and eighty-five TV episodes, which would be about, uh, I don't know, ten years or something like that, or in, in, in one in one sitcom or, or one uh, one TV show. Yeah. So it averages out to you know. If you're like you know Laverne and Shirley or Breaking Bad or no the Breaking Bad was only oh uh, uh, what was it what's a good long running one Friends or Seinfeld Seinfeld ran nine years so it's the equivalent of being on Seinfeld for nine years so it's not that much but separate ones yeah yeah in other words it makes me that famous yeah (laughs) I never counted I you know. So, so I, well,
0: I, have a, I, have a, I have a quick question. Sure. So, I mean, you, you mentioned that you do a lot, you have your hand in a lot of things like uh, podcasts and writing a book, writing screenplays, but acting isn't kind of one of the things that you, you enjoy doing yourself. What is, what is the one thing out of all the things that you do that you just, you can sit and do on a daily basis or I guess what's kind of like your passion if it's not acting so
1: much? Stand up and painting, that and talking. I'm I'm a, what I am is a storyteller. Like Aesop, okay. the Aesop is my hero. And I'm literally like that. Uh, I grew up reading, you know, when I, I grew up, I, I came from a very void of intellectual priorities in my house, it was just nada, pretty much. So, I had to get my own books, comic books, and I bought Mother Goose, Brothers Grimm, Hans Christian Andersen, fairy tales. You know, that was my big thing. It had magic in it. It was my sci fi for a five year old, a six year old, a seven year old kid. That was, you know, it had magic in it. It had people in it. It had kings in it. It had. So, that's what I absorbed. And that's how I started to tell stories. And uh, when I was a kid, my parents sent me to Boy Scout camp, and uh, I was the storyteller. Uh, I mean, I, that's not what I went for, that's not what I knew I w- was good at, but the camp counselors said, uh, you know, we're going to have a campfire once a week, or, yeah, a big campfire once a week, so we're going to have a storyteller. Uh, Larry, you, you want to tell story? Yeah, 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 I want to tell a story. All right, tell a scary story, you know, and they built a bonfire. So I did that for two years going to camp. So people kind of uh, saw that I could do that. I didn't see it. I, it was, But I loved doing it. So it, be, it became a passion because I, I, people liked it. I liked doing it. It was easy. I didn't have to do any homework. I didn't have to think about it. I would just get up and talk. And I, I had, I guess all the scary stuff from fairy tales, you know, Brothers Grimm and wolves and dark forests and stuff. And the kids who were my age and a little older, they loved it. I remember just one, one time, uh, they, you know, they built these huge TP bonfires that were like 10 feet tall. You know, that was the in in camp, you know, and they lit them on fire, huge things. And then I would stand in front of it, you know, so, and the kids were behind now we would be telling these stories. And, and it was a regular thing. So I was used to it. The kids were used to it. I just, but one time the teepee had been burning for so long behind me that the bottom burned, I guess, faster than the top, but it caved in just as I got to a really scary part. And I said, wow. and the wolf jumped out and this thing crashed down and the kids just freaked. <laughs> That's got to be an awesome site. Perfect you time. Bet, yeah. that, that nailed it. And I said, okay, this is my shtick. Okay. This is what I, I want to do. Yeah. That, oh, it's just magnificent. I mean, they, they talked about it for days. But, but you know, I, it was behind me. I didn't even know. I, so, yeah, it's like 3D now, you know. But, <laughs> but, but the, so that, and then painting, because I can do that. By myself at home, you know so that that's kind of those are the two things, and that's why i'm going to go back to it as far as your painting go wh-
0: wh- where does the creativity or or where does the vision do you if you have any
1: or or do you just like a random okay that's a cool question thank you because i I discovered something that everybody saw, but i kind of okay, um doodles, you know doodles, the things that you do in a you know, the, uh, while you're reading, you do it up there. Yeah, or on you your all the time at work, work. Don't yeah. tell my job. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I started to notice that as I started to. I I've always was a drawer. I always liked to draw, but I started to notice that other people did doodles. And then a guy named Roger Price came out with a book called Doodles when I was about when I was in college. Now, have you ever heard of it? Uh, there's no reason you should have. Huh. It came and it went. But it was uh, like, a, you know, a th- a, a, the latest fad. It was a fad. It came and it went. And everybody in college had it, bought it, and then it went. But what it was was he took doodles. Pardon me. He took doodles. And he would make these esoteric doodles. But they had a meaning. And the whole book was just full of these esoteric Doodles every page had a doodle on it just one big doodle on a page But it was a, you had to guess what the doodle was and then when you turn the page on that page was the answer So you know, this page is the doodle that page is the like I'll give you an example Okay, so there's just a, a line drawing of a box like this, you know, like Okay that's just a draw, a line drawing of a box like that, oblong box. And then out of the box, at one end, nearer one end, was a line drawing going up like that and down like that to the to the top edge. It would go boom. And it was like that. And that was the droodle. And you had to guess. What, what is this? And that is a tipped-over telephone booth with a trombone player in it. Now that was an entire book of that. Okay. Wow. That started me towards this because I thought doodles can be, and then I started to, as, as a, as a, because I like art, I went to museums and I found, and reading up on Picasso, who's another favorite of mine, that Picasso used to sign checks when he would go into a restaurant and he would have all his friends. It'd be like a $200 dinner for his friends when he was famous. And instead of paying, he would take the check and he would sign it. And that would be worth about 500 bucks. So, wow. doodles, <laughs> wow. you know, are unnegotiable. They're, yeah, have monetary value. So I thought, okay. So th- that, 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 that passed. But what I started doing was I started to look at my doodles. And, th- and then to get to this point, which is where these came from uh, I, I because I was in the committee and we were m- political and social satire, uh, we had to read newspapers every day. That was part of our homework. It was the only homework we had was you read your newspapers or what you know, so we would do that, and I started to draw any picture that I saw in a newspaper on the newspaper. I would just you know if there was a picture here, I would just do a copy of something in the picture, not the whole picture. But if somebody had an expression, or if like if somebody was doing that, what that guy's doing, shh. If somebody was doing that in the picture, that's what I would draw. Or that's a picture, that was an, uh, a newspaper photo of a kid just walking uh, in, in, uh, in, the, uh, in the ghetto, that. So I, I just drew that, but it was this, this big. It was drawn next to the picture. And I started, I would, in the beginning, I was throwing the newspapers away. I'd read it, I'd do a little drawing, and I'd go on my day. But then i started start to cut out the drawing, not the picture, but my little doodle. And when the internet came and I got Photoshop, I could blow that up to, you know, an 8 by 10 and then I would paint it. So that was this wow. on a, on a wow. newspaper next to the photo of that. That was just one person in a big, big, huge picture. And I changed how he looked, but I had the gesture and the, and the facial thing. So, and, uh, so that's how I got to these paintings. And that's basically these paintings that are on the T-shirts. It's, it's just droodles and doodles painted with, a, with Photoshop and, 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 and pencil and ink. And that's nice. how I did it it's uh but it fools people, I mean they don't know where it comes from, and they say you know that that you know that's like modern stuff, but throwback stuff, you know like the, the the actual oh and here's the the other rule I had one rule about about my paintings was that i in the larger painting the painting was was finished, and you can see how those are three feet by four feet, so they started that big, so the one rule I had was somewhere in the painting the 4 foot by 5 foot painting i you have to see the the original drawing so wow. so somewhere you can see the lines in this painting and in that painting if you look close enough you can you can see the original you know pen and ink drawing so you you actually put your original doodle in the painting the,
0: for someone the to painting
1: find. is the original
0: the, the doodle is the, is the
1: original painting. I okay. just took the doodle and blow it up on my screen. I have a, I have a big. Uh, I have a big monitor for, for my for my laptop. I have a big monitor, so I would blow it up to about that big. Wow! You know, and watch it look good. And then I would just paint or, or you know expand it. Uh, but the original drawing, I never. I would never touch. Somewhere in it, you could see the original drawing. I I wouldn't paint over the line or something like that, Uh, but it was an exercise. It was a mental and, and drawing exercise. Just for me, I never thought about selling them or I I thought about that's what I wanted to do, you know, and other people, uh, I guess painting is my doodling. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you <laughs> no, I,
1: I just get on. I get on my laptop. I open my Photoshop and I doodle. Only it's digital doodle. Digital. And I can blow it up and I got a painting out of it. But it's me doodling, man. That's all. I need.
0: <laughs> So let me ask you this, and, and I meant to ask you this earlier. Um, being that you know, obviously you do uh, your paintings. You, you mentioned the podcast, the book. Um, I, I don't know if you're currently working on 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 any um, project right now. If you're part of a movie or anything like that right now, but. How do you find the time all these years to make time for everything you, you love to do or that you enjoy doing?
1: Well, when you, uh, okay, that, again, that's a really good question I, because I had to think about that. You know, if I wanted to doodle, if I wanted to, it costs. I, there, there's no such thing. I mean, to me, knowledge costs there's some cost either in time or money or value of some sort or a person that you have to give up to follow your dream. There's a cost. And uh, the cost to me was if I was doing a movie, I couldn't do anything else. I mean, I, I couldn't have a, I couldn't go out with my girlfriend because I have dyslexia. And so I have to spend the, the time when we would go out to a movie when you could go out to a movie um i i had to learn my lines i mean it it takes me longer i i in my contract i have to get the script before anybody else or or at least one of the first ones to get the script so i have enough time to memorize the lines so it it cost me my painting time it cost me uh my my social life It, it it does it costs you your social life i don't have uh as great a social life as other actors who don't have other things to do. They have a family, they have kids and they're an actor and they have time to memorize their lines, you know, and then they have their family, but I have time for my memorizing and my family time or what would be my family time for memorization or sometimes I say, all right, I got it memorized. I'm going to doodle. I don't care. I'm not going out. You know, you can go out. Goodbye. I got to <laughs> be you. Uh So there's, uh, there's, there's costs, and, and I admit to it, uh, to myself. I don't care about other people. But I have made the bargain with myself that this is going to cost. I understand the cost, and it's worth it. Or it's not, and screw it. I'm, you know, or I turn down the job. I mean, so in other words, I'm not trapped by all the things I do. I just have to make lots of decisions every once in a while. Prioritize
0: oh, what you want to do. Yeah.
1: I have to make a decision. Do I want to go out? Do I want to get drunk? Do I want to do this? And, and, that, and I have to live with it, you know. And, and, and that's the bargain I made with my life, basically. You know, and, and I think I made a good bargain. From, from yeah. what I can see. Yeah. You know, sometimes I get kind of kind lonely because when you're, you know, when you break up with a girlfriend, you know, and there's that downtime where you, you feel lost. And I, I go for a walk and I see a couple walking and I go, "Shmuck, you gave that up. You know, <laughs> I say to myself, <laughs> you know, and then I keep on walking, you know. Yeah. And, you know, so I start looking for a girlfriend, you know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, yeah, so there's a, I, I got to say, though, that there's months where you go, you know, w- without something, without painting, without being in a movie, without going on a date. Without, I mean, I've raised kids, but it was a struggle, you know, and, and, and it is a struggle. I mean, raising kids is a struggle anyway, but uh, and not, not mine. Words, I, I would be with a girl who had a child and, you know, they were young, young child. So, you know, two, three years, you know, I would be with one person and that child. And then they, 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 um, children, uh, ad- adapt, adopt you as their father. And, and that's hard, man. Uh, and no, I love kids being with kids. So that was, a that's like a treat. I would, you know, eschew other things to, to play with the kid. But, um, then when you break up, you know, the kids still bonded to you. You know, I get messages from, I've, I've raised three, three different girlfriends and three different children. And I still get, you know, mail from them, calls, you know, how you doing, blah, 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 blah. So it's, 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 it's hard, you know. Uh, but, but, I mean, even if you're a ditch tigger or a doctor or, or a mailman, I'm sure you go through, you know, other decisions and hardships. It's, it's called life. I think life. it's called life. Yeah. So, so let me ask you this.
0: Being, um, being that you've worked in, in, so many, in so many movies and TV shows and just, you know, I'm sure living in, L- in L.A., you, you run into a lot of, to what us are, famous people. Um, what actor or actress were you, like, starstruck the most when, when you worked with them or if any?
1: <clears throat> well. Okay. Um, yeah, you have to get rid of that. <clears throat> if you're, good, this is an industry. This is a business. Uh, so I have to swallow any fandom of other actors. I mean, yeah, there's people I look up to, and I think, but I got to keep it to myself. You just, I mean, I was, escaped from Alcatraz. I was with Clint Eastwood and and Don Siegel. I mean, these, <laughs> <so>, yeah. <laughs> Wow, for your you, first you, row, yeah. <laughs> you, you just, you, you do your job and, and you just swallow it, man. Uh, I happen to have ADHD and OC a little OCD, not, not, not much, but so. But I've got these challenges. Uh, so I have to watch myself because every once in a while, yeah, no, I'll go, wow, man, I'm, 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 I'm going to be with Clint Eastwood, I'm, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and, and I'll... Like sometimes I'll, when I was with Clint Eastwood, okay, I'll give you this example where I have to bury it and then it just pops out. But in weird ways, sometimes negative ways. Okay, so I'm working with Clint Eastwood and he only likes to do one take. If you have to do another take, and this Don Siegel who taught him how to direct. Don Siegel was directed him in a lot of different movies. But all the while, Clint Eastwood was learning how to direct. That's where he wanted to go. And he's always wanted to be there. So I was in this movie where Don Siegel is teaching Clint Eastwood to direct while he's directing him in in, uh, Escape from Alpha. And And he has to, so every time Don Siegel yelled cut, he would come up to Clint Eastwood and I'm in the scene. It's just me and Clint Eastwood. He would. Both of them would totally ignore me, like I wasn't there. And they would just talk, you know, how is that for you, Clint? Ah, it was okay. All right, then moving on. Boom, let's go. One take. So one time he comes up to he says, how is that for you? And I was getting really PO'd because they would totally ignore me. Like he didn't say, how is that for you, Larry? No, he wouldn't say that. Or is that okay with you, Larry? No, it would just, and it just bugged me, man. And that's another thing. I don't like to be bugged. So uh, I I have, I'm fearless about getting fired. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) So that, so, so one time Clint said, uh, you know, uh, I, I'd like to do it again, which was very strange. He never, the entire three months I was there. He only did another take once and another time when the camera screwed up so he did it again but that was it so he goes um you know i think uh i'd like to do it again i can do it better so okay fine no no big deal but i heard that okay and so don uh, don she goes all right we're gonna do it again okay you know back to back to spot one boom okay and we did it again cool okay how's that for you clint ignored me that was fine okay moving on boom okay about three days later, um, I was in the scene, he comes up to, Don Siegel comes up to Clint and he says, how is that for you, Clint? Ignored me. Clint says, that was fine for me. And Don Siegel says, oh, and I said, hold it. Um, I'd like to do it again. I think I can do it better. And Clint just looked at me and said, well, I can't and walked away. <laughs> and everybody just fell on the floor laughing. Oh, and I was embarrassed to hell. But not only was I embarrassed, but I was like a fool, but I was really angry. And I knew that this crew was Clint Eastwood's crew. They had done all the movies with him. It was Paso Productions. So they were his guys and they laughed really hard. And I knew I was in the barrel, man. And they wouldn't let up. Cruz, once you, and it's all crews, not only his, but if you are a real screw-up and they start laughing at you, you're dead for the rest of the shoot. They just are merciless crews. I've seen it done to other people. And I knew what I had in store for me, and I, I wasn't going to take it. So I stayed up night after night thinking, I've got to get out of the barrel, man. I've got to do something. I can't take this. And sure enough, he did it again. Uh, How's that for you, Clint? And Clint said, I'd like to do it again. I think I can do it better. And I said, well, I don't think I can. And I walked away. (laughs) And there was silence. Just Yeah. And Yeah. But here's the weird thing. We were on tier C. Now, tier C is that's three stories above the ground floor, you know, those tiers, right? And they were shooting, I guess, uh, this, this way. In other words, that was, that was the drop-off. And you, you walk this way. In other words, the tier was this way. And they were shooting this way. And um, I had no place to walk. I can't walk into the cell. This way, all the equipment was blocking. So I can only walk that way. And the door that way, down tier C, was about 100 feet away. And I just said... Well, I can't, and I just walk down Tier C and I'm walking away and there's silence behind me and I thought, I'm gonna be fired. I don't care about Clint. You know, I, I was like really, I just don't care. And I was walking and walking, but the door kept on getting further and further away. I just I just long walk and there's was silence behind me. Finally when I got just when I got to the door. I hear Clint Eastwood laugh like crazy, and he goes, hey, Larry, come on back, man. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> there?" <laughs> so I turned around, and yeah, yeah, come on. Come on, come on back. So I walked all the way back, and then I was everybody's friend for the rest of the shoot. Thank God, man. I did <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, but I did it. But, man, did I didn't it. care. I thought I would be, get fired. but But that's the kind of... You know, I, I, somehow I think I answered your question. I don't know how, but, but <laughs> there's that... that. Oh, I, I guess looking up to somebody and then by tamping down my fandom, I think it came out as fucking anger, you know? oh, you, I'm a fan of yours and you're going to ignore me? I'm going to walk out on you, you know? Yeah, I think it was that kind of thing. But it, I, it was an instant thing. I just... I was just thinking night after night, I got to get out of the barrel. I got to get out of the barrel. And finally, you know, it just, I just blurted it out. Well, I can't. Well, I can't. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, there's, there's that. Uh, you know, Brian Cranston I would look up to. And, and, and him, I did it another way. You know, I was just a fan to him. And, and he didn't like it. And, and, and until I caught on, luckily I caught on fast enough. You know, I mean, they don't, I don't like it either it, because it makes you not you. Yeah. It's, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not the guy in the movie. I'm, I, that's an act. This is me. I'm, you know, I breathe. You know, I trip. You know, I go to the bathroom. You know, what's, what's the fan about? I don't understand. Uh, now, so I've seen some really famous people, how they handle it, and they, they love it. They go with it. They, they, they feed it. And I just, I try, man, I try. Because it's, it's, it's kind of rude, you know, if somebody looks up to you and they go, you know, hey, I've been a big fan of yours. You know, you sign your my, my autograph. Yeah, I'll sign your autograph, but I try to be nice. And, I, and I'm 99 times out of 10, I'll, I'll 99 times out of 10. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. You know, uh, you know, I'll be nice, and then every once in a while, I go. You know, why are you? This is you know. So, 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 uh, so it's a learned thing, it, it's it's hard. It's very hard for me. So, so, as we're here, let me ask you this: what what
0: um what role do people uh, do people recognize you the most from?
1: Friends, Mr. Friends. Echoes. Far, I mean, way beyond any other. I mean, the the, the big three are. Uh, Mr. Heckles, uh, Tom Pepper from uh, Seinfeld, and Breaking Bad, Old Joe. Those are the, the, the really big ones. But all the others drift in every once in a while. Somebody just did the other day, no, today, uh, sent me on Facebook uh, a, a, a little, um, uh, uh, what, Pinter, a little picture of me in a sitcom that I had no idea what it was. I, I, I said, so, but it was me. Mm-hmm. And it was in this costume. I was, in, so I was singing something. I was a hippie singing in front of a band in a nightclub. I don't remember that at all. So I said, hey, what? what is that, that from? Is that really me? Uh, and he said, yeah, it's from... Uh, I don't even remember the name of the show. But I, I suddenly... When he, we wrote back, he said, Yeah, it's you from blah, blah, blah. And I go, Oh, <laughs> right, right, finally. When he said the name, I, I, I knew what it was. But yeah, sometimes they're just so obscure. You know, were you in this? And, you know, I, I think I was. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes I'll just remember, you know, everything. But I tell you, the, the most things I remember are, are where something went awry like the Clint Eastwood story. In other words, if, if I just went in, did my job, you know, did the character, went home, I just would forget about it because I got to think about getting another job and an audition and I can't. But if something weird happens or strange or funny, you know, where you're, or my mind is blown by something, yeah, then I just totally remember it. Like I said, I don't have to remember it. It just... Yeah. To me. What role has been your personal favorite? My personal favorite, I have two. Uh, one is the Escape from Alcatraz. I thought I did a, a really good job. And, and I did a really good job because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. It was one of the first major movies I was ever in and I was just trying to, you know, I mean, I, Don Siegel on this side and Clint Eastwood on this side and I was in a lot of scenes and even uh, after a while, Don Siegel liked me you know, as an actor, that he was like my grandfather. That was like his grandchild. He would say, hey, Larry, come here. You know, he wouldn't talk to me like he talked to the other actors. He would talk to me like a regular person. Yeah, hey, Larry, Come here. Get in the scene here. Well, I, I'm, I'm not in the scene. I know. Just get in. Get in the, there. What am I doing? I don't know. I just got a hole in the... I need somebody. I need a body. Get in there. You know? Now, just... get. You know, what, what am I doing? It doesn't matter. I need sit in this... There's two major actors, there's the two leads, Clint Eastwood and uh, the warden, are talking to one another, side view, you know, nose to nose. So there was a hole in the center of the screen, you know, there's an empty cell. So he said, get in there, so there's a body in there. I just don't want that hole in the background. Get in there. So immediately, I uh, I ran to the uh, prop department. Uh, which was just a big table in Alcatraz. We were on Alcatraz, no prop department. So we, I go over and I say, give me, give, me a, give me a checkerboard, quick. He goes, what for? I'm in a scene. He just put me in a scene. What are you doing? I don't know. I'm just, si- I'm just sitting there. You know, everybody's got to have a note from, from a teacher or a director. No, give me just thing. I don't have a checkerboard. Uh, well, what are you doing? Yeah, I'm sitting there. I'm just, I want to play. Do uh, you have a, a chessboard? Yeah, I have a chessboard. All right, give me the chessboard and the chess, please. Oh my God! I set it all up. I'm. Larry, are you ready now? He's got the star, two stars, in front of the camera, ready to go, and he asks me if I'm ready. He says, Larry, you ready? Because I'm setting shit up. And he goes, Yeah, I'm ready. Says, so, Okay, all right. Let, let's, gentlemen, let's shoot this. Okay. So he goes, blah 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 blah, and he and he, and then he he yells, cut! And he goes, Hey, Larry. He doesn't talk to them. He talks to me. Come here. He says, oh, shit, what did I do now? You know, because I'm, I'm always thinking, i oh, I screwed up somehow. He says, come here. And he, the, the great thing about really good directors, great directors, they don't talk to you out loud in front of everybody. They talk to you aside, which I really appreciate. You know, even if they tell you something bad, then it's private. It's cool. He says, come here. I go, what, what, what? He says, what are you doing back there? I said, I'm playing checkers. He says, no, you're not. you got a chess board. What are you doing? I said, I know, but Charlie Butts doesn't know how to play chess, and Alcatraz doesn't have uh, a a checkerboard. They only have chess boards. So Charlie is playing checkers with a chess board. He goes, so Charlie Butts is playing checkers with a chess board. I go, yeah, but I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. He says, no, 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 no. Just keep doing what you're doing. I just want to know what you're doing, Larry. Just go back there. It's okay. He goes back and goes, that's it. Okay. So that's how you would talk to me. Yeah. I just want to know what you're doing, Larry. <laughs> that's all. So that's my favorite movie for a lot of reasons. But I did a good job. As an actor, I was totally a, a blank, and I just... Let things happen. I had no agenda at all. I had no backstory or anything. I was just me and it was cool. I, I was there, present. Great. Okay. And then the other one is uh, called what is it called? Oh, the, uh, I don't know it was a cop. Oh, wow. I can't remember the name. I always, uh, I don't remember the, anyway, I played a cop. I played an undercover cop. And, uh, and, then I, uh, uh, and then I also did a, uh, a scene in a courtroom as the undercover cop who had captured the guy. But I just really liked uh, uh, the way I acted as an undercover cop. I mean, I, I nailed it to me. I, I was an undercover cop. Here's the thing. My, my, well, I grew up on, I told you, fairy tales and all things, and Charlie Chaplin. That, that was what I grew up with. Now, but with the fascination I had with Charlie Chaplin, even as a six-year-old kid, was I wanted to see Char- Charles Chaplin. I wanted to see who the actor was. So I bought these little 8-millimeter uh, um, uh, little plastic, uh, uh, I don't know, they were reels, and you could just... Reel and they had a little plastic screen. And you could watch Charlie Chaplin and you go slow or fast because you're just doing it with your hands. You know, you're just reeling it like that. And I would always stop it on a picture as close as I could get. You know, in, in those days they didn't have many close-ups, but as close as I could get to, to Charlie Chaplin, the clown, you know, okay. And I would look at his face and I would try to see Charles Chaplin. Not Charlie Chaplin, the Tramp. And I couldn't. I never found the actor. I only found the character. And it always impressed me. So that's why I liked this other one, as well as uh, Escape from Alcatraz, was in both those movies when I watched it. I'll I'll watch it when it comes out, and then I don't watch it again. But when I watch it, I want to see if I can find Larry Hankin. And if I can't, that's cool. And in Escape from Alcatraz, and in this other movie, I don't remember the name of of it, uh, but I couldn't find me. And I thought, okay, then I did my job. That, that's that's what acting.
0: Yeah, yeah he,
1: L- Larry Hank Hankin got lost character. Right, and 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 the best and the best character actors and the best actors. And, you know, and even Johnny Depp. I tell you. Johnny Depp. The, the uh, was that one where he played the, the scissor hands. Yeah, Johnny Edward C-
0: Scissorhands.
1: Edward Scissorhands. You watch that movie. I've watched that movie. You can't find Johnny Depp, I, and I try because of all the makeup and the hand thing and the and the costume mm. he had to, and all the stuff that he had. You, Johnny is not there. That's I mean that's like one of my key things. There's a lot of other actors. You know, um, Marlon Brando in certain roles uh montgomery clift in certain roles uh a lot of uh uh, i can't i don't remember but there's some comedians comic actors who who can do that they they just disappear they just become the character it's amazing uh who's that guy from second uh from uh uh, saturday night live who played the elf the elf the movie the elf oh uh, yeah him but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Well, Christopher, you, you okay. You try to find him in, in a lot of his roles. He you can't find him. He oh, yeah. totally disappears, man. I mean, that to me is the ultimate of a comic actor. You know, where you, you're gone. Yeah. And, and that's what I always try to do in to the best of my ability. And I guess with Mr. Heckles, although that's uh, Uh, that's why I have a lot of fans is, is I think I disappeared girls, young girls, uh, 12 to, I, I tell you who the fans are. They're really weird. 12 to 16 and then 30 to 45 and who it is, is, is the 12 to 16 year old girls, mothers because the mothers grew up on the original, and then they watch it with their daughters, and they both <laughs> are fans of mine, and it just blows my mind. I'm that old? Holy cow. i got two generations watching. But there's there are millions of them all over the world. I'm serious. I'm, Mr. Heckles is really big in India, for God knows what reason, but he is. I have no idea why. I would think that's one of the cool
0: things of of not, not just being um an actor but but a creator to where you 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 live like you just said two generations of fans like the mother passing it on to to creators yeah, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. It's cross-generational. Is yeah. that even a real word?
1: <laughs> no, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, yeah. yeah. But I I I bet a lot of actors have this especially the older ones now but as you age you get or you lose it. Now, I, I've had people who tell me that, uh, hey, my father turned me on to you in blah, 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 where the father was a kid. Oh, I, I know, uh, the Adam Sandler movies. Uh, or, uh, the, 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 the original one, uh, the one I was in, which was uh, um, uh, Billy Madison. Billy Madison, right. So in, in that, yeah, I get a, a lot of that. So uh, uh, A father or somebody who's about thirty or forty in between there, they'll come up to me and they'll go, uh, "You know, I'm a big fan of yours. Oh, what did you see me in?" You know, I say, "Billy Madison." They go, "Wow!" And then I ask, "My, this is the I always ask it." They say, "Billy Madison." I say, "How many times did you watch it?" And this is the standard answer, man: over a hundred times. That's amazing, man. I can't, I don't know you, that's crazy, but over and over, Adam Sandler's fans, especially the first two, but Billy Madison, watch it 75 times, and then they count them, so then they, and then a kid will come up to him, hey man, I loved you, and, and what, in and Billy Madison, you watch Billy Madison? Yeah, my father turned me on to him. Cross generational, whatever it is. Yeah, that's that's pretty
0: generation, awesome. Man. Who knows? Um,
1: it's right, Mr. Uh,
0: Larry. Let me let me ask you as far as um, as far as your current work. Uh, is there anything you say you were working on some plays? Is there anything we should expect from you in the upcoming you know year or so? As far as screenplay, yeah.
1: Um, well, there's one thing that that's going to come out soon. You check it out. It's going to be really cool. I think I'm I'm doing a podcast. It's called Hankin stories. And it's all these stories that I'm telling you now. Uh, I, it's just a collection of them. It's all of them.
0: It's like, you
1: know, 20, 30 years of just what happened. It's, it's basically, um, it's, it's on the set. It's on the floor. That's what they call it. It's not called a set. It's called the floor. In other words, uh, you're wanted on the floor. You come into your dressing room. You're wanted on the floor. What does that mean? It means it, go to the set. That's what they mean. So uh, it's me on the floor uh, 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 in all these stories. And there's at least I would say I have, I, I, I did a, a practice for a couple of weeks. We, we, we practiced that. I told all the stories I thought I knew or that they could throw at me. And we came up with eight hours. This is eight hours worth of stories. Now, it's not 185 you know, uh, uh, acting series or anything like that. But it's just eight hours of story. So I guess they're about 30 or 40, you know. Because uh, yeah. you can, you, you'll say, you know, what was it like on the set of uh, That Girl? I, I don't know. I don't remember. I, I was on it. I, I came. I, I did my job and I went. So there's no story. So a lot of them, there's no stories. I just did my job and I went home. But about 30 or 40 of them, of those 185, yeah, there's like weirdness happened <laughs> i think it follows me and there's going to be a yeah, podcast okay. that's
0: available on all streaming services
1: correct excuse me and this oh podcast- yeah I, I got man we're, we're not today what we're doing is we're banking it i just did one yesterday the first one where we banked it. it now we're it's real now so i did the first one and from what they tell me it was really cool they they, they really dug it uh so we're going to just do it once a week now and bank them and then uh We'll see where it goes or where we're going to put it. But uh, we'd like to monetize it in some way, uh, yeah. obviously. But they're really cool stories because I I've, I've banked eight hours that were, are not official. And I've listened to those. And they're pretty, they're pretty cool. You know. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And so so that's, the, that's, wh- the next, that's the next thing. And then... Um, What's the, the name of it again? It's called Hankin Stories. One word. Hankin Stories. Hankin, H-A-N-K-I-N-S-T-O-R-I-S. H-A-N-K-I-N-S-T-O-R-I-S. Hankin Stories. N K I N S T O R I E S. Hankin Stories. A podcast. So it'll be out in a couple of, let me see. Uh, we're going to do, say, 10, 10 weeks. So that's one a week, 10 weeks from now, or nine weeks from now, uh, and then a couple of weeks for editing. So 12 weeks, three months. Three months. Wow. So that, and then um, I'm going to do stand up. I'm going to take that, write it into a book. So that will be out in about a year and a half. And then I want to wow. do those stories as up when we can, you know, go to cl- nightclubs and, you know, I have a theater that's already booked for me, you know, I, I, a year and a half in advance. <laughs> that's awesome. Hopefully, so, hopefully. It's a little, you know, it's a one of those black boxes, you know, you know, a
0: hundred seats or something like that. Hopefully, but COVID I, I is called by then, and, and you come out to, to Houston, and, and we'll be able to go out there and see you do some stand up. If you come out here, this cool. Way. I'd
1: love to do it, man, because I used yeah, to tour, awesome. I and mean, the touring was great. I, I love touring, but that was in my 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 salad days. You know, when I before I got became corrupted and <laughs> sold my soul. <laughs>
0: Uh, uh as far as your paintings uh when, when the show started we talked about your uh your shirts and your paintings back there where can people go to buy your shirts and, and any other of your of your merch oh okay
1: well if you got a a wall like a lot of these uh, podcasters say hey you know when we get our studio we're going to buy one of your wall paintings cool <laughs> great good luck great uh so it's uh, thereallarryhankin.com. That's my website, thereallarryhankin.com. And it's got my paintings. There's about 40 of my paintings and about 25 of my t-shirts. Uh, mainly the animals are the big sellers on my t-shirts. Uh, that's my favorite. I have a t-shirt of that. I wear it. I should have worn it to the show, but okay. I have a t-shirt like that. Uh, but I don't know. People like the animals. I have a big elephant. I have a dog. So anyway, that, that's that, and they have my um, some my, my videos. I make uh, I make uh, uh, film sh- shorts. I got about uh, thirty of my film shorts on there. Uh, we didn't even talk about that. No need to. But I also do that. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, I do a lot of things. I, I don't think it's a good thing, because yeah. I think if you just do one thing, it's much better. But you know, go argue with my mind. I can't. <laughs> <play
0: with it. laughs> yeah. That's, and, and that's, and that's why I meant when I asked you, like, how do you find the time
1: to do everything? Because I feel like. Well, myself- sometimes I get really, uh, I get angry. Yeah. Damn it. I, 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 like bike riding this morning. I had, a, I had an argument with myself about I, I got to do my cameo things, you know. You know, you know about cameo? Yeah, yeah. yeah like you like call up cameo and they go happy birthday. Well, I do those too. In the morning, I had a big argument with myself. I got to go for a bike ride. Yeah, but you got to do those cameo things. They hang on and then, you know, they, they, they don't go away. You have to do them. So <laughs> I had, finally, I went for a bike ride and I did, when I, I did them when I came back. Still I made
0: time. It. Well, Miss Larry, this has been awesome. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. We really do Great, appreciate man. your time. Um, and I'm, 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 <laughs> I know you said everybody says when they get a studio. We have a studio. We're not, we're not at it right now. But I would definitely try, try to get that painting because, like I said, since I saw it, that you said you had it on a shirt. I was like, that's pretty cool. I didn't know you, had, you were selling actual paintings. I thought you were just selling the shirts. But, no, but they really have, sure if, if you go to the, the website,
1: you'll see there's a different sections. You know, you go to the, the T-shirts and then the art and then the videos, the, the film shorts. Yeah, it's a trip. That's awesome. I, I do the best I can. Well, once again, Claire, <laughs>
0: we, we appreciate you And, and hopefully you, you go on tour next year And come out thank this you. way to Texas and, and it'll be awesome to see you live And uh, once again, we appreciate your time And uh, thank you for joining us today Thank you Thanks, Thank
1: everybody. you, Julio Thank you, Thanks, Thank everybody. you,